Um, we're picking back up in this Exodus series. Started a few weeks ago. We mapped out the whole trajectory of Exodus, looking at their flight, the Israelites' enslavement to Pharaoh, their flight from him through the waters of the sea into the wilderness where they go up the mountain and receive the Ten Commandments, where they're fed with manna, bread from heaven, and where they receive water from the rock, but also where they wander for 40 years before eventually crossing over Jordan into the land of promise. And we sort of mapped on top of that or showed how that pointed to our Christian journey, our Christian being set free, where Christ, Jesus, the greater Moses, um, comes to liberate us from enslavement to sin and death, um, leads us through the waters of baptism, feeds us bread from heaven at the table, and uh, water from the rock, and where we live this life learning to trust God, learning to trust his provision for us along the way. Though, of course, we too grumble and are stubborn, just like the Israelites. Eventually, though, we all come to Jordan and cross over into that land of promise, which um, is ours in him. And then the next thing we did was we took a look at the early life of Moses, his infancy narrative, just like you can look at the Gospels and find an infancy narrative about Jesus and his birth. So, too, is there one about Moses, uh, Moses where he was placed in the basket, which is called an ark. Only two times the word ark is used. We want to talk about Noah and this one with echoes of Noah's ark. And he passes through the water to safety where he's caught up in the reeds. Pharaoh's daughter takes him out of the basket. He becomes a member of the royal family. Later, we learned about um, his flight from Pharaoh and flight from Egypt after he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And he runs and makes his way eventually to a place called Midian where uh, he marries Zephora, where he has a child, where he receives a vocation and becomes a shepherd there. And so today we're coming to sort of the climactic moment of that section, that time of Moses' life which occurs in Midian. Um, he's going to go up on the mountain, up on Mount Sinai, the same place where he will receive the Ten Commandments some years later. And he's going to encounter this burning bush, this bur bush that burns without being consumed. So we're going to read that in just a moment, but, but first I want to, I want to give you a, uh, a quote uh, from a short story by Carson McCullers. It's a 20th century uh, Southern writer. Goes like this. Son, do you know how love should be begun? The boy sat small and listening and still. Slowly, he shook his head. The old man leaned forward and whispered, A tree, a rock, a cloud. One more time. Son, do you know how love should be begun? The boy sat small and listening and still. Slowly he shook his head. The old man leaned forward and whispered, A tree, a rock, a cloud. Let's pray together. Lord, as we now turn to your word, 
As we read this account of the burning bush, we pray that you might illumine us even as you have illumined this world in which we live so that our lives too might speak of you in every way so that we might be drawn close to you so that we might be set aflame by the love of your Holy Spirit who burns within us. And we too become a burning bush announcing your presence to a world in need of you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So I invite you to listen carefully and listen well. This is picking up in Exodus chapter 3. This too is the word of the Lord. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I also have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'll, I'll get back to that quote in a minute. I've got to keep you in suspense, right? Yeah, okay. <clears throat> so, I mean, we could say so this morning, we could spend a year on this passage or more. But this morning, we're just going to take sort of, we're going to draw out sort of three main things. Um, you know, Moses' name means drawn out. So we're going to draw out three things here. First, we're going to talk about paying attention. 
It's sort of been a theme lately, I think, right? Attending to God. And then we're going to look at what it means to draw close to God, but also not too close. And then finally, we're going to look at, um, at humility and obedience. All of these things evidenced in Moses' own life. So first, paying attention. You know, Moses, when we pick up with our story, is in Midian. He's been in Midian for years. He made it to Midian. He made it out of the land where his, he couldn't figure out with his Israelite skin and Egyptian clothes how he fit. But now he has a family and a spouse and a child and a, a job. And we encounter him today. He's doing his job. He's out in the wilderness. He's, leading, he's a shepherd. He's leading the sheep. He's leading them out in the morning to a place where they might graze. He's taking them in at night, and then he's getting up again the next day and doing the same thing. He's going about his everyday life. Work and family, responsibilities. He's doing the things he needs to do. Anybody, can anybody relate to that? <laughs> Maybe? I hope so. Yeah. He's going about his normal, everyday life. When suddenly unexpectedly he sees in the distance a bush which is burning but it's not being consumed the text says that he saw the angel of the lord the angel of the lord appeared to him burning within a bush but the bush wasn't consumed he caught no he, he took note of it he saw it and then he turned aside. He stopped. He paid attention. And he drew near. So by way of analogy, you're going through your day today. You're going to work. Or you're going home. Or maybe you're retired and you've taken on other kinds of work, other kinds of routines. You're going about your daily routine. And suddenly, the Lord brings something before you which also comes with a choice. Will you pay attention and see, or will you continue on with what you were doing? Moses obviously could have said, gosh, it's getting a little late, and I've got to get these sheep back to the you know, watering trough, and that seemed kind of neat, but I'm just going to go on, and it's not going to make any difference for me at all in my life. Right? We, you, you could do that with something that God puts in front of you. Moses does not. He turns aside. You know, I actually think, you, th you know, we're turning to the highlight, the climactic moment of Moses, the second big period and stage of his life. And of course, it's a highlight. I get that. You can probably remember back and think of a few highlights in your own life, moments when God has appeared to you, revealed something to you, shown you, grabbed hold of you, opened your eyes to see something either in someone or in some scene or in some place, a moment in time which opens up to you. It's, it's like um, in Greek, there are two words to describe time. One is chronos, chronological time, right? It's the time we keep track of on our watches and on our calendars, and it's the sequential move into the future that we're most familiar with. But there's another word for time. It's called kairos time. It's like time that, that sort of slows down or opens up or carries more within it than it, than it can actually normally hold. It, it's a moment in time that opens you up to eternity, maybe. 
which is actually a way I described um, Heath and Cassie's wedding yesterday. Uh, we were, this is uh, Heath Austin. Heath actually edits some of our videos for the nine o'clock worship service. He goes back and, and polishes them up a bit. Um, he's got to polish my parts up a lot. Uh, that's why I'm glad we got him. And, uh, you know, his parents, Jim and Cindy, uh, you, I sent out a message yesterday, and you, you guys were praying for them. But we went, up, we went up on a mountain. A lot of good stuff happens on mountains in the Bible. And, and there's this moment, this, you know, 25-minute service, but a covenant is formed, and, and something about that moment in time opens up to something bigger, something larger. It's a moment that opens up to eternity that becomes filled with God's presence. There are highlight moments like that, a, a, a wedding or a burning bush atop the mountain or maybe moments when God has grabbed hold of you. But I think that your lives, our lives together are absolutely chock full of burning bushes that we don't turn aside to see, that we don't stop and slow down for. You know, we got to get to the next thing. We got to... Um, make the next appointment. We have to pick up uh, the child after school. Whatever it may be, we, we're always going to the next thing, but I think our lives are full of God because God, the Scripture says, everywhere and fills all things. There's kairos moments that open us up occasionally, I think, help us to see the beauty in all the other moments too, in the chronos moments, the more ordinary moments. Moments like after the wedding, when we're sitting and there's a bay of windows, you know, one direction opens up and you see grandfather, the other way opens up, you see Yellow Mountain and Pump Mountain. It's just a beautiful place. Sugar Mountain number two, that road. Um, but I was looking at the bay windows and, you know, we're, we're towards the end of the buffet line and so kids were restless, right? <laughs> so they've stepped outside and Leslie has Spencer out there and Spencer's you know, got messy hair. Um, it's down in her eyes. It's, she's sweaty. <clears throat> she's got a dress that kind of fits but doesn't quite, so it's bouncing around like this. And she's running back and forth on a little concrete patio in front of the window. And I'm looking at her, and she comes over and puts her hands up to the window and smiles just huge. And it was one of those moments, I just got talking, done talking about kairos, moments that open you up to something more. And this moment right here for me, I could have gone back to the conversation, but I managed somehow to, to just look at her and to see her and to watch. I just watched her for a bit. And I was full of joy and her smile was, it was a fire with the glory of God. And it was a moment where I could see God's presence and love and blessing upon her and it op that opened that up for me. I think every moment is like that. I'm going to give you another quote. This one from Elizabeth Barrett Browning, who says, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God. But only those who see take off their shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries and daub their natural faces unaware. Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God, but only those who see take off their shoes. 
The rest just sit around and pluck blackberries and daub their natural faces unaware. How often I just move through life, move through the world, which is set aflame with the glory of God, not really realizing how close I am, but I'm just going about my work, popping blackberries, and wondering why I'm so sweaty. <laughs> right? It's because we've drawn close to the heat, to the glory of God, to the world aflame with His presence. How can you open yourself up to see more of the glory, more of the beauty, more of the splendor in the world around us, in the people beside us, in the faces into which we're given to look, whether they're pressed up against a glass door or whether they pass us on the street? How can we open ourselves up to more of that beauty, more of that wonder, more of those moments where God sends his angel to set the world aflame for us so that we might be drawn close to him? How can we do that? I think love is the answer. Son, do you know how love should be begun? The boy sat small, listening, and still. Slowly he shook his head. The old man leaned forward and whispered, A tree, a rock. A cloud. To begin to love small things. Things that, you know, you can have the climactic moment. But our God is not just a glorious God. God is also glorious and God is also humble. And God meets us in the smallest things, the smallest moments. When's the last time you looked at a tree? Like got under it and really looked up and looked at it. And watched the light filtering through. That's my assignment this week. Five minutes, find a tree, and go stand beneath it. I'm not kidding. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask random people. Did you go look at a tree this week? Go look up at the tree and be small and listen and still. Attend in love to the things that God has made. Begin to love the tree because the tree opens you up to God Grow in love. Take a rock. My kids collect rocks. I'm like, why in the world are you collecting rocks? The road is full of them behind our house, but they want to take them home and put them in their fairy house so they can get them back and look at them. I should or paint them, yes. <laughs> I should probably start looking at rocks a little more carefully. Turning them over. Attending to the glory of the one who's described himself as a rock, our rock and our redeemer. You know, a few weeks ago, I was late to come run. I was meeting John Ray, who's in the, back there helping live stream our service. I was meeting John Ray at 4.30. He knows I'm not good at being here at 4.30. And so 4.30 rolls around. I call him and said, John, I'm, I'm going to be late. John said, that's okay. I decided I was going to watch the clouds. And that came to me as I was thinking about this sermon and about this quote. When was the last time you watched the clouds and were moved by their beauty and took time to do it? Love is the way that you open up more to this. Of course, um, what happens when you see, you also must decide to 
attend. And when you attend, it is only after Moses attends that God speaks. Did you see that? God gives the sign. God makes the invitation. The bush burns without being consumed. But it is only after Moses turns aside that God says, Moses, Moses, and calls his name. God isn't going to force himself upon you in that way. God invites you. And then Moses attends, and we pay attention, and we draw near, and then God speaks our names. But what does God say? Take your shoes off. Take your shoes. The ground upon which you are standing, Moses, is holy ground. Come near, but not too close. What happens on a cold night and there's a fire burning? It's nice to come near that fire. It's warm. It attracts us. But if you get too close... What happens? You get burned. My dad loved to tell me as a kid, don't play with fire, you'll get burned. Usually when I was trying to tickle him or something. (laughs) You can come close, but not too close, Moses. The God that you draw near to is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of your fathers, the God who was promised in love to care for you, to make a plan for you to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. And is this the, the Lord who loves you? Yes, but it is also the Lord Sabaoth, the Lord leader of armies, the Lord who comes into battle with Pharaoh and conquers. Draw near, but not too near, Moses. Now, this is interesting to me. This is, um, here's a little Gregory of Nyssa for you. So this is what he says to Moses. Gregory, and this is before Christ, right? And so there's a sense in which you can approach God, but not too close. But Gregory Nyssa says that the burning bush is a picture of Mary. Because the bush burns with the glory of God, contains the flame but is not consumed. And in the same way, in a a more profound way, Mary herself contains, if we want to put it that way, contains the incarnate Word, the incarnate Logos within her, the eternal Son of the Father. She bears in her body without being consumed. So the image has been reversed. Moses can come close, but not too close. But now in Mary, in Christ, God has made a way that He's come to live within us, within humanity, from the inside out. You see how, I mean, there's a big difference there. Now here's the other thing. So that kind of blows my mind a little bit, right? But here's the even more drastic step. Mary is an image of the church. She is an image of all of us. What happened at Pentecost? The Sunday school class was talking about this a little bit this morning. Christ sends the Spirit, imagined in different ways, but in one way, He he breathes upon the apostles. He blows into their lungs the breath of life. The Ruach, the Spirit of God, comes upon them and fills them on the inside. And what lights upon their heads? A flame of fire. The church has become the burning bush. Set aflame with the glory of God, but not yet consumed. The church is an image of Mary. Mary bears Christ within her and gives Christ to the world. The call here is yes to attend, 
Yes, to draw near. Yes, to bow in repentance and to take off our sandals, which is an image of our sin, right? But also to receive Christ and to bear Him in such a way that we can give Him to others, that we shine like lights in the world so that others see us and it's like they've seen a burning bush. It's like there's something here that opens them up to the presence and the power of God. You, that's you. That's us collectively. But it's also you personally. At which point, like Moses, we say, <clears throat> um, who am I? Who am I to do this? Maybe you think that specifically about things God has called you to do in your life. You remember, like, um, think you got the wrong person, God. Maybe you say that generally. You're like, I, hey, I can come to worship. And I can, I can easily enter into the prayer of confession. But for God to use me to lead a multitude into freedom? No, not so much. Have you ever had that thought? It's honestly a good thought. Everybody God calls in the scriptures, if you look at their response, are all like, um, exactly. Who am I? That's a mark of humility. It's, it's a, that's a good thing. But you know, what's better than humility? Obedience. What if Moses had just stayed humble and said, you know I got like sheep poop on my hands, right? And you want me to lead a nation into freedom? He could have just stayed humble. He could have turned back. Who knows what would have happened then. But he, in his humility, he's humble enough to be obedient. He's humble enough to say, I think I'm not much, but God knows better than me. And I'm going to trust God. And I don't know what's coming next, but I'm going to trust Him. In fact, the, the, the closer you look at Moses, the more readily we can see, Moses, you are exactly the right person. The same way that I could look at each of you and see whatever God's calling you to do and to be and say, you're exactly the right person for that. Moses, goes; he's the one who's supposed to lead them on an Exodus journey. He goes through four Exodus journeys in his life. By the time God sends him to, Israel, uh, to Egypt to lead them out, he's gone through two already. He's gotten a lot of practice with this. When he's an infant, he's placed in the basket, he moves through the waters of the sea. He's caught up in the reeds. He's drawn out by Pharaoh's daughter, becomes a royal figure. Just like 80 years later, he's going to lead the people through the waters of the sea. And this is interesting. A lot of our Bibles translate it the Red Sea. The literal words are the sea of reeds. Just like Moses was brought through the sea of reeds and was drawn out, and the first person that recognized this was his sister Miriam. She's the one that said, oh, um, I might happen to know somebody who could nurse the child. She bears witness to his movement, his first exodus. In the same way, after the Israelites pass through the sea, Miriam is the one who leads the people in a song of triumph. One of the oldest songs in the scripture. It's Miriam who's there. And it's also at this point that God says, my people will be a royal priesthood. Right? That's their vocation now. The second Exodus Moses goes through, 
passes through blood, just like the people pass through the blood of the Passover and the Egyptian son dies, so too Moses strikes down the Egyptian son, flees east, just like the people will go east. And he ends up living in Midian. You know how many years? It was described as wilderness in our passage this morning. Forty years, just like the people wander in the wilderness for 40 years. He sees God in a burning bush on Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, just like during their 40-year wandering, they meet God on that same mountain and He gives the commandments. Moses is the perfect person for this. Now, I don't know what, what all has brought you to be the person you are and the relationships that have been formed there, the people that have shaped you and molded you and the experiences you've had, but all of it, in the same way we can look back at Moses' life, has shaped you to be the person that God can send. So the invitation this morning is to learn to love a tree, a rock, a cloud, so that you can be opened to those burning bush moments that God sets before you. You can see the whole world aflame with the glory of God so that you too can be filled as you take off your shoes and become a sign, a symbol, and a foretaste of God's glory yourself so you can bear His, His life in your own and share it with the world. Call to humility, yes, but even more obedience. That's your call, that's mine, that's, that's each of ours together. And nations get led to freedom when God's people do that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.